the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back to our third hour, Monday, May 23rd, 2022. Listening to a podcast where the current chairman of the Democratic National Committee stated, again, that Republicans are the party of fascism, he got there by claiming how racist a party we are. What it got me to thinking is, A, why leftists in America keep making that allegation against any evidence, and in fact against contrary evidence, B, how they do so with a plank in their eye, and C, why it has purchase. The answer to B is actually easy. They've either convinced themselves that they are enlightened and not racist, or if they engage in racialism, it's for good reasons. The motives are pure, just as Malcolm X put it, by any means necessary. Or it just could be a good tool for them in their quest for power, and they really don't care much about the issue in the first place. Why does it have purchase? My third question. This is not too hard to answer either, though I believe the number of hoaxes perpetrated in its service and the syntactical saturation of the charge, using racism as a shibboleth for any political opponent you disagree with on any issue, respective or irrespective of race, I believe these two things are weakening the purchase, overinflating the commodity, if you will, to the point of near irrelevance. But for where remnants of the epithet success still resonate, there is something good to be found. The idea that the charge is still seen as a negative, the notion that people in this country think racism a bad thing, associate racism with iniquitous or evil thought and behavior, it says something good about us still. It, of course, too, dispels the notion of our systemic racism. A thoroughly entrenched society of racism would not abhor and try to redress racism, after all. Which really leaves us the first question. Why leftists in America keep making that allegation against any evidence, and in fact against contrary evidence that Republicans are racist, fascists, and any other litany of horribles you'd like to insert there. At first thought, for those on the left who support the transformation of this country in the name of their progressivism, this is nothing new. Socialists and communists have always redounded to two default positions, propaganda and propaganda in the service of alleging socially criminal behavior in order to rally support. It was the Khrushchev strategy in the 1950s and 1960s, for example, that invented the notion of racist states that used race to protect their colonialist and imperialist governance structures. Speech after speech in the United Nations alleged racism on behalf of revolutionary Marxist movements around the globe. The United States, housing as it did the United Nations, where most of these fulminations took place, was not immune from the attack. As but one of many examples, here's Khrushchev in a 1960 speech at the United Nations, quote, Practice shows, however, that the United States restricts and infringes upon the rights of the representatives of various states. 
There have been oases, for instance, where the representatives of young African and Asian states have been subjected to racial discrimination in the United States and even to attacks by thugs, close quote. He could say this even as his own country had cleansed Cossacks and Poles from the Soviet Union for no reason other than their ethnicity. And Jews were imprisoned for being Jews or for wanting to leave or for wanting to celebrate their holidays. Normal countries don't have Bibles whose existence relies exclusively on smuggling base customs and secret police. A year after giving the 1960 speech, Khrushchev went on the next year to articulate the Marxist cause and justification for wars of national liberation. Quote, people should fight for their self-determination, for independent national development against rotten reactionary regimes, close quote. A rotten reactionary regime. That is the cause of spelling. That is the jus in bello. That is the legitimacy for taking up arms. And the United States was such a rotten and reactionary regime. So two immediate things were brought to post-World War II world affairs and America. A, the notion that racism was the worst of crimes and that B, violent uprisings against it were justifiable. The unspoken part, the sotto voce, was that all of this came from people who were never elected to their position of power. That is to say, all of this came from tyrants who achieved power and perpetrated their power, not via the consent of the governed, but rather by bullets, force, and state apparatuses of power backed by the party. And to give you an idea of just how powerful the party was, the Communist Party, leaders of regimes like China and the USSR were always the chairman of their party first. They were always the chairman of their party first before they were ever premiers. The party controlled the state. Another reason and manner in which to govern without consent. The state was subordinate to the party, not the other way around. Now, combine this history as you begin to also contemplate the rise in the late 1950s and through the 1960s of counter-revolutionary socialist and Marxist terrorist groups, all with Soviet support, from the Middle East to Latin America. Consider Jean-Paul Sartre's 1961 introduction to Franz Fanon's book, The Wretched of the Earth. Quote, the rebel's weapon is the proof of his humanity, for in the first days of the, the revolt, you must kill. To shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone, to destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. There remain a dead man and a free man. The survivor, for the first time, feels a national soil under his foot, close quote. Now you begin to see the Marxist notion of self-determination, if not violence. For the violent act is necessary to achieve a self-determination of a people via a revolutionary overthrow of a government as much as it is, per Sartre, to liberate oneself, to actualize. The violent act at once helps overthrow the chains of society as much as society's chains on an individual. As Marx would put it himself, quote, there is only one way in which the murderous death agonies of the old society and the bloody birth throes of the new society can be shortened, simplified, and concentrated, and that way is revolutionary terror, close quote. Now, so long as we're combining things, add all of that, especially as it developed in the West beginning in the 1950s and throughout the 1960s, and look at some of the polling I shared last week where millennials and Generation Y have increasingly positive views of Marxism. This helps, explains not, this helps explain not only the popularity, never mind 
lack of banishment of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and the rest, it helps explain the lack of revulsion of their views as non-starters to begin with. You have in these representatives the exact opposite coin of David Duke, except he proclaims his racism and the squad proclaim their opposition to it. The problem is David Duke is not the squad's target. All of America is because all of America is David Duke to them. This is the Marxist American dialectic. And to prove its racism, just as in the Soviet Union, you invent it where it doesn't exist and cover it up when it's under your own watch or by your own hand. This would help explain why we bury stories of anti-Semitic and anti-Asian discrimination and violence while we invent hoaxes about other minority discrimination and violence. Want a quick test? I'd bet 90% of America would fail this one. Are there more anti-Muslim or more anti-Jewish hate crimes in America? I ask because we are told we are an Islamophobic society and there is anti-Muslim sentiment all around the likes of Omar and and, uh, Tlaib. Well, here's your answer. There are 16 times more anti-Jewish hate crimes in America than anti-Muslim. Cover up the real, especially if you fuel it. Invent and exaggerate the rest that serves your cause. And so with all this history and intellectual fraud that comes from Marx, Lenin, Khrushchev, and their modern epigones, we see something very much like what we saw in the days of the Cold War. Ideologically entrenched regimes vested in perpetrating lies to maintain their credibility with a constant need for an enemy so as to justify their existence. Thus, I give you racist America, or more directly, racist Republican Party, that which stands in the way of the party state. Now, the natural question arises, well, how long can this go on as the party state is ruining the actual state from the economy to the rule of law to the world's order of normal pacifism? This is the easiest of all to answer. It's the hewing to an idea over a fact, or as Thomas Huxley once put it, the inconvenience of ugly facts killing beautiful theories. The theories will win almost every time, at least at the intellectual level, which would explain the contempt for the non-intellectual who cares less about theories than putting bread and milk on the table and gas in his car. Now you understand also the notion of college readiness, i.e. the push to put everyone or pack as many people as possible into colleges and universities, the better to train the brain or wash it so that each subsequent generation can get more and more comfortable with what it taught in college and expected to be exported implied outwardly. Signs of what you see all around. Disruption of the family, use of children for adult political causes, use of education and teaching as revolutionary acts, a run against masculinity and martial virtues, the elimination of dissent, the excusing of some violence attendant to the exploitation of other violence, a war on law enforcement, and the use of race as the catalyst for all of this. It just hasn't been tried so well yet. No socialist country has ever really tried what we can do. They were imperfect. We have learned their lessons and foibles. You hear that on every college campus. But then the question becomes, why are you repeating each and every one of those foibles on the way to your Valhalla? The question after that becomes the one Irving Kristol asked years ago. 
when modern day socialists and Marxists say other regimes of the past were insufficiently resolute or intelligent to bring true true socialism about, we must tell them this is all ridiculous, of course. Socialism is what socialism does. The plaintive lament of the purists that socialism has never really been tried is simply the expression of petulance and obstinacy on the part of ideologues who, convinced that they have a more profound understanding than anyone else of the world and its history, now find that they have been living a huge self-deception. People who persist in calling themselves socialists while decrying the history of the world that has proclaimed itself socialist and who can find a socialist country nowhere but in their own imaginings, such people are anachronisms. Well, they're worse than that because each of their examples tried very hard and with the apparatuses of state violence and worldly credibility at places like the United Nations. What did they not get right? As one professor put it, in every case, insurgents seized control of governments, which then expropriated private farms, factories and shops from their capitalist owners, many of whom lost not only their property, but their lives. What's more, these insurgents were led by figures, Lenin, Mao, Castro, etc., that were explicitly committed to socialist ideology. The economic failure, famine, and bloodshed suffered by each of these countries flowed directly from the same policies advocated by today's socialists. Yes, quite. Meantime, we look everywhere for fascists, only to realize what we need to look for are dictionaries, the history books already having been scrubbed. The opinion principle hierarchy runs something like this, as Frank Milley recently put it. There is only one permitted narrative, and is that Republicans are dangerous white supremacists who live in a fantasy world and are mostly Russian propagandists. Democrats, on the other hand, are noble social justice warriors who ensure an open border, keep women's sports safe for men, and punish schoolchildren for using the wrong pronouns. Meanwhile, speech is violence. Violence is mostly peaceful. Peacefully marching is insurrection. Gender changing is gender affirming. Keeping hands off a body is having clinicians operate in your body. Wanting those hands off the body is putting hands on it. Colorblindness is racism. Discrimination is anti-racism. Voter suppression means more voters voting. And build back better? Well, that just means higher gas prices for your car and food shortages for your babies. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a great and unique investment opportunity with a fabulous return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others and you can do. What they do is they help people who are doing their best to dig out a debt the right way, doing the right thing and paying off their debts, doing so with dignity, even seeing major FICO credit score repair. Check them out online, investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Local company, you can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they do, and you'll be happy to see it 
and hear it. Again, check them out at investyrefi.com. One of the things I was just kind of thinking about in regard to my monologue is something Time Magazine just came out with, the 100 Most Influential People of 2022. And what's interesting about this is it's kind of it's kind of the elite culture doing the same thing with culture and politics that the UN did that I was talking about with regard to international relations. Everyone is on the same moral plane. Everyone. So that you can have Ron DeSantis on this list, as well as Xi Jinping, as well as Bruce Jenner's ex-wife, or whatever her name is. What's her name? Whatever. Her, she's on there, as well as other tyrants, as well as a few, you know, activists for various liberal and left-wing social causes in America. They're all part of the same. And if you look at Xi Jinping's entry, it's disgusting to me. The first sentence is Xi Jinping has had a profound impact domestically and globally since ascending to power as Communist Party General Secretary in 2012, soon after which he became president and since has developed the biggest Chinese personality cult since Mao's. couple things to notice in that sentence. couple things to notice. First, notice the verification. I didn't see this when I wrote my monologue. Yes, first the chairman of the party, then the head of the state. The party controls the state. That's traditional catechism. Yeah, that's catechistic communism. Okay. Two. Second, greatest Chinese personality cult since Mao's, Mao Zedong's, and profound impact. Yes, these are probably all true. They're also empty of any value judgment whatsoever as regard to this man's desire to take over the world or at least at least to impress and suppress massive numbers of people. Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Ron DeSantis, Ketanji Brown Jackson, Joe Rogan, Vladimir Zelensky, they're all on this list. They're all in the same category. There's a problem with that. There's a real problem with that because two things happen in our society now. We're either totally value neutral and you can have Vladimir Zelensky on the same page as Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or or you have the value judgments that only run in one direction. Always, always, always in favor of the progressive. I'll tell you, um, Elie Wiesel said that the word show up means confusion, and he's right. And he defined confusion as when good and bad are put on the same moral plane and the evil receives the countenance of the just. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We haven't talked a lot about the Secretary of State's race in a while, but there is uh, an election for Secretary of State here, which is effectively really our lieutenant governor since we don't have a lieutenant governor. It's the second uh, second position in our state government. And uh, as many of you know, I have been longtime friends and a longtime endorser of uh, candidate Shauna Bullock. You can check out her website, BullockForArizona.com, B-O-L-I-C-K-F-O-R, Arizona.com. 
Calm, you know someone's doing well when the media knives come out for you. They only tackle the person with the football. And, boy, Shauna's been uh, <laughs> blocking a lot of tackles lately. Shauna, thanks for joining us on the show. Welcome back. Thank you, Seth, so much for having me this afternoon. Anytime you want. Anytime you want. Absolutely. You know, they've they've really gone after you over the last 72 hours, and I was thinking um, – you know, Lincoln, Abe Lincoln once put it that I feel like the man who was tarred and feathered and rid, ridden out of town on a rail. Someone asked him how he liked it. He said, if it wasn't for the honor of the thing, I'd rather walk. And the point I'm yeah. making is, you know, you should feel honored that you're the one that they're spending all their time on. I've looked at what they've gone after you for. It's absurd. You can't post a picture of your greyhound on Twitter anymore. Tell the audience about <laughs> no, this absurdity. So Tell them about this. So, cute. so, yeah, I got banned from Twitter. Uh, sometime on Friday evening because I posted a picture of my cute little adorable greyhound. And, you know, obviously he was attacking a, a donkey puppet. And the other side of the donkey puppet's an elephant. So some days he's attacking a del- the elephant, other days he's attacking a donkey. So free speech, I guess, has gone out the window. And, you know, I've seen so many nasty and horrific threatening tweets out on Twitter Yet they come after me. They they dog piled on me, and they reported me for really no good reason. Your dog, whom I I know, is playing with a puppet, which on one side is a donkey, <laughs> and on the other side it's an elephant. I don't think we need to spell out what that means. <laughs> and you took a picture of it <laughs> while he was playing with or chewing on the donkey side, and that got you banned from Twitter. This is wonderful. This is great. The mullahs of Iran can have a Twitter account. David Duke and Louis Farrakhan can have a Twitter account, but no free speech for Greyhound. Do you think I should have Dagny do it and see if they have a policy yes. that allows Britneys but not Greyhounds? Do you think it's a German-French thing? What do you think this is about? <laughs> Oh, it's definitely about me. Yeah, of course and, it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're not going to take me out. They're not going to take my greyhound out. None of the three greyhounds that I have will they ever take down. Um, you know, it's humorous on, on putting pictures that are cute of your of course. dog. Of course. Um, you know, saying that socialists need to be eradicated is, is not too far from the truth. I mean, at this point, we're going to basically hand over the country to a bunch of radicals. I will never, ever allow that to happen under no, my watch. I know you won't. I know you won't. You're a strong, strong candidate. You're a strong legislator. And uh, as Sal DeCicio said about you uh, many years ago, you are a game changer for the Republican Party in Arizona. And I love that you are. So they then go after they try and silence you on social media, Shauna. Now they're going after you because you received a letter you didn't ask for. Tell the story. I mean, my gosh, this isn't hard, folks. This really isn't hard. Please do this for us, Shona. I'm sorry to make you do it again. Oh, no worries. I, I like to actually correct the record. So, Seth, a few weeks ago, I received six different public records into my legislative office. One happened to be from Emma Brown from The Washington Post. She wanted all of my emails exchanged with uh, Jenny Thomas or Clarence Thomas. And the request went out to myself, the speaker, and Mark Fincham. And um, I'm the only one, apparently, that responded. I assume that the email went to all of us at the Capitol, but I was the only individual that had actually responded to her email. And, you know, my email request or my email response back to her was essentially the same hand response that I had been sending to every single person that had reached out to my office. So after the November 3rd election and before January 1st, my office received over 57,000 emails just on the election. Sure. And I I told folks that I would stand and support an audit. I would love to come back for a special session to look and review any different intricacies that may have happened. And unfortunately, as you know, they're trying to take Clarence Thomas down. So they're looking for any which way to do that. 
you know, with the leak of the Supreme Court um, case a few weeks ago on May 2nd, this is the way that the Democrats are looking to take down any good people. And again, I will stand there in firm stance against what they're trying to do. I want to uh, I have to take a quick commercial break. Let's fill out a little bit more of that story just when we come back just a bit so that the audience understands how innocuous, how innocent what the story how innocent this all really was. And then also let's take a moment and talk about the um the case of uh, of our election integrity in Arizona because to the degree that we have some now, some more now than we did Arizona owes you a a debt of gratitude, Shauna. Let's talk about that on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Shauna Bullock, my candidate for Secretary of State. BullockForArizona.com. B-O-L-I-C-K-F-O-R. Arizona.com. We'll be right back. I, I don't think that's the ringtone for when the Washington Post calls Shauna Bullock, but it might as well be. They operate on Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> ethics, don't they, Shauna? Oh, my gosh. So, um, Insane. you know. And the, you know what? I yeah. would not have even answered the phone on Friday morning. So she called me at 830, but one of my friend's phone numbers and names popped up, so I answered the call. Sure. I typically don't answer the phone from a 202 area code because yeah. I can only imagine who's on the other side. Yeah. But it actually had a friend of mine's name on it, so it's the only reason I answered. It got it got pretty testy, um, our conversation. Yeah. I let her know that she already received you know my response back, yep. and she was just trying to pull me into some sort of gotcha moment. And I let her know that if she was going to go into that um, – lying, uh, you know, what the Democrat uh, journalists typically do, that I would be suing her. So she was very careful about how she printed uh, the the last question that I had answered. So my husband was actually standing pretty close by. He had no idea who I was on the phone with. <laughs> and he was just like, who are you just on the phone with? And I told him, he said, oh. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that good job was done by Shauna Bola, candidate for secretary of state. And uh, she'll do a great job when she gets there. She's already been on the case for election integrity for some time. Shauna, people uh, may not understand the entire situation, which was a very friendly kind of thing and a very pro forma kind of thing. You and you and the Thomas family, you guys, you, you guys have had a relationship that preexisted uh, November 2020, didn't you? Correct. So my husband worked for uh, Justice Clarence Thomas whenever he headed up the EEOC mm-hmm. back in the 90s. I was in high school, mind you, so I was covering that that whole entire Anita Hill nonsense when I was a cub journalist at, at my high school. And another thing that people probably don't know, I had some overlap with Ginny when I worked at the Heritage Foundation. We actually walked some kids over to Clarence Thomas's chambers at the time back in, I believe, 1998, for a performance. We had these Shakespearean kids that were traveling the country, and we were hosting them, and Justice uh, Thomas uh, allowed them to come to his chamber and perform for him. So I met uh, Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas before I met my own husband, and I have not seen or heard from them uh, probably ever since that about that same time frame. So Ginny Thomas, uh, she's been a long time for those of us that have worked in Washington. You have, I have. We've we've all run it. We've all done work with Ginny Thomas. Some yep. some 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 she'll remember. Some she won't. She's been a fixture in Washington conservative circles for a great deal of time. And uh, so she she sends you a uh, a, a, a what was it a text an email what was it she sent you Sean? So. 
in that time frame, we were receiving thousands yeah. of emails that were auto-generated, yeah. you know, from different grassroots organizations. So she probably signed up for something. They probably put her name on a bunch of outgoing emails. I'm sure. And all it was was an auto-generated form letter. And as I mentioned, I got over 57,000 emails. Yeah, yeah. Well, pause on this. I just, I just want people to pause on that for a moment. Yeah. Uh, people have this sure. image that she sent you, this personal te- personal text no. that you need to stop the the election count or something. No, you got a form letter from an old friend. That's what you got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I responded the same way for basically every outgoing email was pointing them to the AG's election integrity unit to file a complaint if they experienced any election fraud or interference. And, you know, we wanted to make sure at the end of the day that people were uh, being pointed in the direction because we had heard of so many complaints out there. I wanted to make sure that the election integrity unit stayed pretty busy for the AG sure. with all these complaints that I was receiving. But even though she was obviously out of state, I did send it to her. You know, same exact response I received sent to everybody. In fact, if memory serves, when this story first was making the rounds, I think, if I'm not mistaken, our county recorder, Stephen Richer, wrote that you did the exact right thing. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I should basically go on a rampage like they did to make sure that they're correcting the record because I heard from everybody from Slate to Rolling Stone to CNN. I can go all the way down the hole, right? The the, the Democratic rat hole of of which groups reached out to me. And I pointed them all to my my Twitter post. And at that point, you know, they were looking for any which way to to ban me from Twitter. Yep. And so they they found your greyhound misbehaving and banned you for that. Boy, they'll make you responsible for everything. Exactly (laughs) right, misbehaving by their lights, misbehaving by their lights, which you know that's going to that's going to be a moving target. We have like about two minutes left, Shauna. Talk to me about uh, how 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 the race is going and what your intentions are in ensuring uh, election integrity once you do become Secretary of State. Well, thank you for having me on this afternoon, Seth. I've put over twenty six thousand miles in my car. I'm actually driving a rental car right now because uh, three weeks ago I burned um, my transmission out. I'm in a brand new car from all the campaigning we've done. Good thing gas so isn't too driving. expensive. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. I like to tell people when I'm uh, in front of them and they're asking, well, how can we can help? I'm like, definitely donate to my campaign yeah. to help me literally fuel my campaign. Yeah. yeah. Gas is so expensive. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've paid over $5 for a gallon of gas all over the, all over the state. Um, you know, we're focused on looking at ways to improve the security in our election system and making sure that we are literally putting people to work. So I want to put together 15 election integrity task force, one for each county, keep the eyes and ears on the ground, reporting back of what's going on, making sure that things are more secure. You know, there's going to be a ballot initiative in November, the legal ID that we have referred from the Capitol over there. So legal ID on all ballots, everybody who votes wants to make sure that their vote counts, only legal votes count. So hopefully moving forward, people can have a little more trust in our mail-in ballot system. And today, I believe they're voting on a bill over in the Senate uh, dealing with drop boxes. I saw 2,000 mules. Obviously, there are some problems with these drop boxes that we've got all over the country. Make sure that they're either secure or banned. I think Jake Hoffman's bill initially banned them. And in some locales, they said couldn't ban them outright. You needed to make sure that they were either manned or had video surveillance on them that was archived. And on his amendment, I made sure that we were holding that information for four years, not the 22-month standard that the federal law uh, currently requires. I have a few election and Terry bills left in the Senate. Thankfully, they're not all killed and dead. 
And one is saying that the Arizona revised statute prevails over the election procedure manual. There's no reason why a secretary of state should be putting her policy preferences like H.R. 1 into the election procedure manual. If they try to do that in the future, we will slap them down. So those are the things that are going on. That, that's fantastic. I, I just want to tell the audience, no one knows more about uh, election policy and election law in the state of Arizona than Shauna Bullock. No one has rolled up their sleeves to do more about it. And that's why there's no one I support more than I support you. Shauna, bless you and thank you for everything. Go get them and look forward to talking to you again soon, dear. Hey, Seth, I have one more thing yeah. to plug. AZElectionProtection.com. Tell your listeners to go to AZElectionProtection.com. And sign up to be poll watchers. There you go. Say it once more. AZElectionProtection.com. Perfect. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Really appreciate it. As uh, many of you know, we are heading uh, this week is uh, our week, which is uh, the off ramp to Memorial Day, which we'll be commemorating this weekend. Uh, We have been uh, reading submissions from you, uh, from your uh, people you have nominated, friends and family members, stories of uh, those who have paid the the ultimate sacrifice. And... um, at the end of the week, we will select one of these uh, submitters by one of your submissions by total random, by, t- by, 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 you know, by blindfold. And uh, you will receive a United States flag that has flown over the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., dedicated into the service um, and uh, memory of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. I was looking over at the American Patriots Almanac on what it has to say what we wrote about Memorial Day. And uh, what I'll probably do on Friday as we head into the weekend is play taps, as I usually do. I think I do that every year, don't I? I do. I'll do it this year for sure. And um, and the last thing I'll just say is, for those of you that have submitted your stories, thank you, thank you so very, very much for here too, the Honorable finds its due. And yes, there are tears for passing things. Absolutely. And the tears we shed for those who paid their last full measure of devotion belong in a well, a well of salt water, a well of salt water that we should acknowledge and recognize and know that because of the power that water can generate with tremendous force is the power that fuels the ongoing success of this, what Lincoln called the last best hope of Earth. May we be honorable enough to maintain it, and may we be good enough to cherish the memories of those who gave it to us. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.